Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press, back in the studio this week and previewing the NFL Draft. Joining me is Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports. He does a great job in digging into the prospects, digging into the NFL pipeline to see who might be going where. We'll ask Eric how a first round without a top 10 quarterback, at least no sure thing, and no sure thing number one pick, how does that all play out? How does he rank the potential top 10 edge rushers in the class, like Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker? Over under, five and a half receivers going in the first round. And when does a run on quarterbacks happen in this draft? The draft starts Thursday, and we'll get you up to speed on all that you need to know to follow along. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on appodcast.com, where you can also find my colleague Rob Motti's NFL Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, take a minute. Give us a good review and rating. It helps more college football fans find us and helps us find more college football fans. If you'd like to email the show, send questions and comments to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. aptop25, the digits 25, mailbag at gmail.com. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast, Eric Edholm. He is the draft analyst covering the NFL as well for Yahoo Sports. Eric does a great job. Appreciate you squeezing me in on what is, I'm sure, a very busy week for you. I hope you are remembering to eat at this time of the year. <laughs> yeah, I am. I, I, that rarely slips through the cracks. So thank goodness I've got that going for me. But I, I am uh, pleased to be here. Pleasure. I think it's now, what, two or three years in a row we've done this. So it yeah, uh, means yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah, this is becoming a this is becoming a tradition that <laughs> I, I like it that I'd like to keep up. So yes, let's start with this. I one of the more interesting things about this draft is we don't know who's going number one. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we kind of have a feeling there's a couple of players who are you know who are trending that way. Yeah, maybe there's even some players outside those top two. So let's just start with that. Like, yeah, Eric, who's going number one, man? You know, it, it's not like I haven't asked, right? I mean, I've, I've uh, been hitting up Jacksonville and trying to find out what their plans are. I do know they're going to make a final call this week. It appears like Wednesday is kind of the drop-down day. So, you know, no no, uh, no space to change your mind, really, with the draft happening the next day. But, yeah, I, the, the first shift happened at the Combine. I think everyone had kind of just by default started putting Evan Neal from Alabama, the offensive tackle, in that number one spot. I grabbed Doug Peterson for a moment at the combine and said, Hey, you were there in Kansas city when Eric Fisher was the number one pick, you know, what does it take for a tackle to go? Number one, like, what do they have? And he, I mean, he just basically said, they've got to be really, really, really good. And so the way he I'm paraphrasing, of course, but the way he said it, I thought, I just, I'm not feeling Evan Neal here. And then all of a sudden, as we exited the combine, you that's when Aiden Hutchinson kind of took over, but there has been this plot twist where, not only is George's Trayvon Walker being obviously bandied about, and you heard Trent Balky kind of, you know, extol his virtues to no end the other day, but also uh, Ika Mikwanu from NC State as a possibility. Neil being, you know, I guess in the mix, I don't think he's the guy. So I, I guess at this point, I, I mean, 
I talked to Walker on Friday. He said, I believe I'm still in the mix. I talked to some people in Hutchinson's camp on, on Thursday, I think. And they said, we're still thinking we're number one, you know? So boy, in a draft that may lack a little excitement, we've got, we got some fireworks right off the bat. Right. Cause if you don't have the, the glamor position quarterbacks up at top, then at least have some mystery. That's right. Let me, let me ask you this. And I'll put you in not necessarily who the best player is, but mm-hmm. I'll put you in Jacksonville's shoes. So balance their needs with the players. Who do you take number one? Yeah, I mean, obviously, new regime, you know, Doug Peterson taking over for Urban Meyer. I, you know, they, they, if you listen to his opening press conference, he stressed culture and building, you know, tough teams from the inside out and all that. So it's no shock that they're, they're going for guys who seemingly passed both of those tests, right? You know, Icky's parents are, are, you know, incredible overachievers, his brothers and sisters too. Hutchinson's character has been raved about, you know, Walker's sort of viewed as the, um, you know, the, the quiet, stern voice in, in a crowded uh, defense and all that. I mean, all of them make some sense. I think I would probably just feel a little bit more comfortable with Hutchinson's floor, knowing that, look, you know, we, we've had a pretty Star-crossed history here outside of 2017. We need as many sure things as possible. I normally don't, you know, sort of advise to teams to, you know, try to just get by, right? But obviously, in their situation, needing as many, you know, pillars, I would say, franchise uh, building blocks as possible. Hutchinson's about as sure a thing, even if he turns out to be Chris Long, right? Really good player, you know? I mean, right. good football player. So Walker's upside is fascinating, though. I mean, you see enough to say, wow, maybe he is something special. Yeah, let's talk about him because I think from a – because obviously my my show is going to draw a lot of college football. Right. It's not like we don't know Trayvon Walker really good. But when you watch Georgia play, he was not the guy who you found yourself drawn to. Now, listen, sometimes that's just – I hate to use this word because it gets used pejoratively so so much. Sometimes that's just narrative, right? Yeah. Players get built up in a way and maybe on a, on a telecast, especially on defense. Um, you know, Georgia used a lot of different players, so guys didn't get a ton of snaps. But it was more N'Kobe Dean, yep. Gordon Davis that got a lot of the run. But then again, when you look at Walker's numbers, there wasn't a ton of plays there. So you had to dig a little deeper into the film. You know, if he goes number one, is there a comparable past number one a guy Ooh. with that little production i know that wasn't on the topic list so i'm, I'm kind of yeah. throwing that out you at you a little off 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 the cuff here but i can't remember another player going number one whose production was so let's just say minimal yeah that's a great question i'd have to sort of think a little bit i mean jadevion Clowney had his like you know the the the, the blow up in the backfield moment so he was obviously a well-known commodity i want to say he had like three four or five sacks this final year right final year wasn't great yeah he had modest production his final year and some injuries but his his sophomore year was the big breakout year so maybe that's a that's that's somewhat of a comparison for the final year yeah it's a tough one because they're really i don't know what do we go to andre bruce i don't even know right i mean it's it's funny that was the guy i was thinking right yeah i mean yeah you're a historian i am too i i you know you think about a little bit of the off you know eric fisher obviously when he was the first pick it was an unusually barren draft at the top and you know uh luke jokel i want to say was the number two pick etc and you know, it just was one of those drafts. They didn't have quarterbacks. They didn't have pass rushers. They didn't have, that was probably the draft that comes closest to this one in terms of 
you know, the, the, the top 15 area or whatever, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to find a, a, a true comp. There's a little bit of a Solomon Thomas thing going on here with Walker too, where it's like, is he an interior player? Cause he, does he play on the edge? What weight do you like him at? Is he perfect for every front? You know, I mean, again, it's, it's tough. Cause he's a big kid who runs fast. So you don't want to deny him that those are qualities that, that get you drafted really high in the NFL. But at the same time, there's also a, a question with some people about, he hasn't produced yet. There's a little bit of a position issue, you know, depending on your scheme. You know, that that's a <laughs> tricky sell for number one, but obviously the upside is 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 fascinating. I also want to hit on one other thing before we dive into some of the more specific questions. And that is, and listen, it, for 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 people who follow football as closely as we do, and maybe mm-hmm. fans, they may hear this and think, yeah, yeah, we know. But <laughs> I think it's worth saying that. At this point, because, again, we're about the same age. We've sort of grown up in the draft around the same yeah. time. The draft has become, to a, to a large extent, what is your value in the passing game, right? Mm. I mean, because if it's not a quarterback, it's a guy who sacks quarterbacks. It's a guy who protects quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And I just, if you can give me a little insight on how much that is, that is gospel truth at this point and how much maybe that just is what we see and maybe not as much truth. How much of that is, is the way the draft shakes out these days with value based on passing game? Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. That's the first question. I think you start with like, is it great that, that Leo, you know, Chanel is a tremendous run stuffer? Yes. But I want to know, can he cover? Right. And so you ask yourself that question with every defensive prospect and then offensively with, with, especially with offensive linemen love to see road graders. Everyone loves the big, you know, pancake blocks in the run game. However, you're only going to be doing that 35% of the time or whatever. So yeah, there's there's definitely a sense of, but how does he pass protect? But how does he do this running back? How does he catch the football? How does he how does he pick up blitzes? So there's no doubt there's a default starting position with with player scattering reports where you sort of say, let's start with third downs, right? And yeah, I think well this will be a, a fantastic test for that too because it's viewed as a not great quarterback class. It's, I think, been inflated a little as far as how good a receiver class it is. But if you see the receiver run, especially after all these contracts we've gotten this offseason, you know, I think there are nine receivers now making 20 plus million on average per year. You almost have to treat it like quarterback where you hope to get the fifth year option and save some money on the long haul. So I think this year, especially with the number of pass rushers, corners, uh, offensive tackles, and even quarterbacks, certainly receivers, go early in this draft. Okay, you opened the door to a couple of different follow-up questions. Good. Let's start with, uh, you mentioned the receivers, so let's go mm-hmm. down that route. Um, I uh, the, the question I threw to you in the, in the prep was, over under six receivers in the first round. Now, you just said, boy, maybe this, this is a little bit of an overrated receiver draft. But when I do my uh, back of the napkin, you know, not as uh, well, not, not as much of an expert as you, I see about six. So I what do you think? It. Yeah, I, I could see it too. I, I, I will qualify my statement by saying we've been blessed with wide receiver riches the last really three years. You know, you go yeah. back to AJ Brown, Debo and, and DK Metcalf, that class, you know, Justin Jefferson and his group two years ago. And then obviously Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and, and you know, even I'm on race. Ross St. Brown can catch 90 passes in the NFL as a rookie. So, you know, it's we, we've sort of been spoiled a little bit, you know, outside of Garrett Wilson and a healthy Jameson Williams, 
you know, London Olave. Yeah. I mean, again, these are really good football players. I'm not besmirching them or anything like that. I just don't know that we have a chase or a Jefferson or even a DK, anything really kind of close to that in this class. So I I'm maybe I'm just jaded because we've been sort of flooded with receivers the last few years, but the depth is good. The question comes down to does Traylon Burks end up in the first round? I would have said a week or two ago, maybe like, yeah, of course he does. Right. The chiefs need one, the Packers, whoever, like he's the big size speed, you know, not speed, but, but you know, the, the sort of the physical freak can do a lot of things, but I've sort of sensed that there was a reason why Arkansas had to kind of scheme up touches with him and that his combine testing was, you know, disappointing and that you sort of put it all into perspective a little bit. And I think there's some, he wasn't, you know, there was some, some questions about how good he'd be on the board, given that he came from kind of a, a simplistic route tree at uh, Arkansas. So he's the one that I can't figure out right now. I, I still think there's going to be, end up being a spot for him in the first 32, but others people aren't sure. So Wilson, Williams, London, Olave, I think first round locks. Burks, I'm not sure about. I think Jahan Dotson has a chance, but I'm not rock solid on that. So I, I've kind of gone the other way. I, I okay. last again last week I would have said over five and a half, no doubt. Now I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. And again, Pickens and Sky Moore and a few others may have a chance too. So it could come a different way. Well, that's what I came up with. And again, yeah. when I'm sort of doing my back of the napkin stuff is all of a sudden, when you start looking at Burks and Jahan Dotson, I, I love Dotson. Now I got, I, yes. I see a lot of Penn state football. I've covered them in person. Yeah. So it's hard not to like him. I mean, it just seems like a guy really catches everything. Yes. Uh, he runs really nice routes, but you do find yourself thinking, Oh, but is he that much better than, more or some mm -hmm. of these other guys that we think are falling to the second round and does that you know so you have you do you have the two things pushing against each other here a nfl really valuing receivers now right the value of receivers is sky high but there are so many pretty good to really good ones does that make the burks and the dotsons people think oh you know i'll wait on that yeah, well, yeah, I'll wait on uh, maybe we can get them late in the first round or, I, or I'll get a similar player in the later round in, in the second round. So I think that's the interesting part about where the receivers go. Yep, I think you're right. And, you know, Pickens returning late in the year and having a couple big plays in the playoffs and, and reminding people of his 2019 yeah, talent. He's a really good player. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and you know, and they've said he's matured a little. He's not the water bottles, yeah. water bottle squirter guy. And, you know, and. They've done they've done some I think they've done some uh, some work to make sure that people are realizing like, hey, you know, yes, he was this firebrand kid who had a little bit of immaturity to him. But trust us, he's worked hard. He's come a long way. So, yeah, that and, you know, the fact that North Dakota State produces NFL talent, Christian Watson. Watson yeah, player, yeah. There's just a lot more like, you know, even with some of the injured guys like Justin Ross and the two Alabama guys, there's still a sense that like. You know, there, there's a lot of talent out there and, you know, it may not be that disparate from each other. You could, like you said, second round could provide a lot of first round, uh, you know, steals, if you will. So uh, well, let's turn back to the edge rushers because mm -hmm. we talked a little Walker and a little Hutchinson. There's also Kayvon Thibodeau, who we think, you know, maybe first round. There's some questions about, you know, how much he loves football, which always kind of bothers me because that yeah. to me, I always I always hear that as 
is he too smart to play like, <laughs> for you to love him? Like, is that like, do you want your football players to be a little dumb? Like, right. I don't, like I know that's not what's being said, but I tend to hear it that way. Yeah. There's Jermaine Johnson, who is, you know, just a dynamo, all kinds of effort, had a great year for Florida State. So again, is there, are do, do those four guys all go in the top 10? And who's your favorite? If I yeah. just said, who's, who's the one that you like the most, Eric? Yeah, I I probably as a you know talking right here today, I would say Aiden Hutchins the the most complete guy. But you know you could argue Thibodeau's got a little bit more diverse skill set. He's maybe a little bit more dynamic an athlete. You could argue that Walker uh, is better than both. And so you know there's a case to be made. I think Hutchinson, boy, I almost feel like he's gotten not not beaten up, but I mean a little bit forgotten in the process as we sometimes do with those top guys. Some guys get get ripped, some just sort of get ignored a little bit. And and it's it's okay to remember that Hutchinson had an unbelievable season. And you know, the the narrative that he was completely owned against George, I think isn't quite true. So there's, you know, there's a little bit of that that goes on. But yeah, I like Jermaine Johnson a lot too. Don't get me wrong. He went down to the senior bowl and just wrecked the party. I mean, he was, you know, he was the best player there in my opinion that week anyway. Um, so I think all four have a chance to go in the top 13, 14 picks. I would say, I don't think Johnson is the top 10 lock. Some think he is. I think Thibodeau starts at two and may not last past you know, two to eight, I would say is probably his range. I think there are teams in that range that, that do like him a lot. So there, there's plenty of appreciation for, for these guys. And there's also the, the fast risers, Arnold Ebiketti and uh, you know, Logan Hall's getting a lot of buzz as a combo guy of so, sorts, even a job, you know, after the pro day injury, I think there's still some people thinking, you know, maybe not first, but early second. Yeah. We take that risk and, and we'll live with the, the red shirt. Like, like when uh, the Cowboys took Jalen Smith, they knew he wasn't going to play as a rookie. So, you know, those picks happen. Right. Right. And turns out to have some, some pretty good value. I mean, you are not picking this guy just for one year, just for his rookie year. Exactly. Um, Is Thibodeau the prospect with the most variance of the, of the first rounders where you think, yeah, could go to could slip out of the top 10. Yeah. Is there somebody else in there? Is it maybe Evan Neal? I know you brought him up as a guy who maybe has a certain amount of variance in there. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. And the thing with Thibodeau, I, you know, you, you, you framed it well, which is that, you know, some people have kind of questioned, there hasn't been like a consistent message from the draft Twitter media fan quotient a little bit. I just sort of, sort of feel like I wrote around the combine. I said, he's not guaranteed to be a top five pick. I stand by what I wrote, although I'm starting to think there's at least one team in that, you know, two to five range that, that likes them. Detroit would have to be one of them, I think, and, and maybe one other, um, you know, the, the thing that, that caught my attention was that when Thibodeau at the, at the combine said, and I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember the exact quote, but he basically said something to the effect of, you know, I'm, I study a lot of film of myself. There's nothing a coach can't tell me that I don't already know about myself. Mm-hmm. That that got back to teams pretty quickly and now kind of went, hmm, okay, what what exactly do you mean by that? I knew what he was saying, which is saying that he's his own best, you know, biggest critic. But but it it did raise some other questions. The Giants pressed him on it. You know, other teams were kind of like, hey, you know, what's the story with this? And they did sort of push back at him to see how he'd react to, uh, you know, a little a little tough love, if you will, and, and, and make him a little uncomfortable in the interviews to see how he'd react. And I think. For the most part, he's done very well in the pre-draft process, you know, even if this narrative still exists. So I think there is some variance with him. 
I would be shocked if, if Neil gets past Carolina at six. So I don't know that there's just because the need is so big at, at offensive tackle. And I don't think they're drafting a quarterback there. I'm trying to think of like the one guy who may I'll sit on that one for a minute. I, okay. I can't quite Can I throw another one. Kyle Hamilton, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Kyle Hamilton's a good one. And I, let, let's sit on him for a second here okay. um, because like, what does that mean? This is a guy, I mean, what, look, when you watch him play, and again, I am not a, a an, an NFL draft expert. I don't, right. I don't, you know, you know, grind film like you do. And, but I just watch these guys play. Right. And there's no guy who made more wow plays, at least yeah. defensive players, where you watched him from week to week with Notre Dame and were like, how did he get there? Right. Like, how, so then you see him run four fives. And you think, man, like that didn't look like a four or five. So, you know, it might push him out of the top 10. But as you're, you know, as you're assessing this, the way scouts assess this, how do you balance that wow factor on tape with the four or five, four, six forties? Yeah. And even a four, seven at his pro day. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's it. So it just I, I think, you know, scouts naturally from what I've been able to gather is that, you know, you watch the tape and you say, that's a, that's a four or five guy right there. You watch them and you sort of, you have an estimation. Now, granted, these kids are now tested as juniors. So we, you know, they're tested in high school. I mean, you know, it's not like we don't kind of know what and they're going to run. Coming off a knee injury. That now, too. It was a serious knee injury where that serious to the extent where it needed surgery, but he did right. have a knee injury. So I, I, I don't want, I wonder how much that maybe lingered and also took away from some of his training. Absolutely. Yeah, I think those things have to be have to be factored in. You know, he had, you know, the ankle the year before the knee. So there have been a little Nick, you know, Nicky ticky tack injuries here. But I think they have absolutely taken, you know, a half a step away from healthy. As you pointed out, he is the come off the screen to go make the play safety. Right. And to do so at six, four two twenty, Well, that's impressive. Right. So I think. As some people have pointed out like the flying 20, which is, you know, the, 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 the middle 20 yards of the, of the 40 are very much in line with some of the other safeties. Lewis seen from Georgia is probably one of the faster ones, you know, the Nick cross from Maryland. So, you know, he's below them, but he's, you know, very much in, in a good place. So the idea of playing speed uh, is, is I think very strong for him. Instincts are very strong character, football IQ, all very considered, very strong, mature, you know, has a body type that I think could add a little bit of weight. So now you say, Hey, maybe, you know, even if it, you worry about the lack of speed, you say he can do a lot of things for us. We got into that trap a little bit with Isaiah Simmons, you know, a couple of years ago, and he's a little bit bigger, which is crazy, but you know, Isaiah, I think is, was, they, they were so sold on the idea that he was this Jack of all trades because he did it at Clemson, but it takes a while to get comfortable in that. I, I love to see guys have, one, maybe two jobs and just be really good at that and then start expanding their repertoire. But it's tough when you have players who've done it on the college level and then you wonder. I, I think Hamilton could slip out of the top 10. Atlanta at eight, maybe. Mm, maybe. Jets 10, maybe. Commanders at 11, maybe. I mean, those are all teams that I think, you know, you could make a case for. Let me throw one more at you who sure. I think could, could have a, a, a variance here. I'll, you keep using that word. Derek Stingley. Because this was a guy after his freshman year. I mean, that looked like that's oh, yeah. destined to be. And Thibodeau was a little like this too, but Stingley looked like destined to be top five. Yep. First corner off the board. Um, injuries, 
the defense around him kind of collapses. Yes. I get different opinions on his individual performance. Some people are like, nah, he got a bad rap. The, everything around him was a mess, and, and that made him look um, – he was good if you, if, you, if you sort of isolate him. And then there are others who are like, well, maybe not. So when you look at how he developed over the last couple of years between the injuries, but also just when he was playing, was he good? Yeah, and I'll give you a you know a little little uh, college football story because I know this is a college football uh, uh, podcast. But yeah, I mean, I I I had a, a friend on the staff at LSU, the former staff, and uh, you know, kind of was just checking in with him. And I said, "How you doing?" He said, "How am I doing?" He said, "I get to watch Jamar Chase and and uh, Derek Stingley go at each other in practice every single day. My life is great." You know, and it was just like right. they they thought like you did. They were watching uh, a star yeah, in in progress couple slip-ups, but he was a true freshman and he played on a national championship defense. He took all those bullets and handled them well. I think you're right. Some of the things, you know, whether it was the Ed Orgeron stuff and the 2020 season was a disaster. Jamar Chase, you know, opting out of that year and all of a sudden Stingley's put in the spotlight. Um, a lot of, you know, Terrence Marshall eventually uh, dropped out as well. You know, the, the, it kind of the bottom fell out a little bit. There was also some questions about whether he's overtraining, you know, like, the dad is a coach and has, you know, has played professional. I think he was on the jets for about uh, eight minutes at one point on the practice squad. Um, you know, there's some people in the program who sort of wondered, was the, was the dad pushing him too much? Was he getting bad advice from LSU? Was he doing this? Was it, but you're right. 10 games in two years. How do you know? Right. How do you, yeah, he was great two years ago, but that tapes got a lot of dust on it now. So I'll tell you what though, just in conversations the last week 10 days or so i feel like he's going high i i i think it starts at three with him i don't know that he goes to the texans but i think that's where the the first possibility of him going off the board even though the lions even have done a lot of work on him i think it starts at three and i would be shocked if he gets outside the top 10 so yes i agree with the idea that there's some volatility to him and as a prospect you don't really know what you have the pro day did answer some questions but I think at the end, people are looking and saying, maybe this corner class isn't as deep. We're going to bet on the talent. We think he's a decent kid. You know, it's not like a character situation that's all that worrisome. That That's my gut feeling based on the teams, you know, the talk that I've talked to and other sources around college football, too, that feel like he's he's go, he may not go ahead of sauce, but he may. And it's, it's yeah. actually not a, a, a foregone conclusion. Yeah. That's the interesting thing. I think there's been this sort of, uh, uh, as you said, foregone conclusion, almost that yeah. sauce Gardner from Cincinnati will be the number one corner, possibly right. You know, two, three, four, somewhere in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be pretty stunning if Stingley, in fact, you know, I, I, I'm not a guy who bets on the draft. I'm not a guy who bets on anything. I don't know. That might be an interesting prop bet. Yes, it would. Thinking. That would be an interesting prop bet. Put a, a couple of bucks on Stingley being the first corner because I bet you it pays pretty well, right? Now. Good odds. Yeah, he was under page. nine and a half for his draft total a couple of days ago. I haven't looked at it recently, yeah. and I thought I'd be hammering that under if I was a gambler. Yeah. Okay, I want to take a quick break here on the AP yeah. Top 25 uh, College Football Podcast, talking with Eric Edholm from Yahoo. He is their draft expert. We are going to come back and talk quarterbacks. You're listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast with your host, Ralph Russo, the Associated Press College Football Writer. If you have any questions for our host or any of our guests, email the show at aptop25mailbag 
at gmail.com. And to get the rest of your football fix, also take a listen to the AP Pro Football Podcast with host Rob Motti, writer and sports radio personality as he tackles all the important news on and off the field of the National Football League and provide you with insider exclusives and in-depth analysis along with insightful interviews with Hall of Famers, current players, coaches, and executives. Rob will take you around the league, break down the biggest games, and keep you in the know only the way AP can. Like, subscribe, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, our NFL Draft Preview with Eric at home from Yahoo Sports. Let's talk quarterbacks. Yes. Because now you had mentioned you don't see Evan Neal getting past the Carolina Panthers at six. Yeah. That they're probably, which means probably Icky, Evan Neal, whichever, Mm -hmm. however that plays out, they're most likely to go offensive line, not quarterback. But that's also the place where a lot of people say, oh, if there's one team in the top 10, well, maybe there are two, but that might be a place where Kenny Pickett, there's a correlation between Kenny Pickett and Matt Rule. Mm-hmm. Kenny, uh, Matt Rule offered Kenny Pickett, was one of the first to offer Kenny Pickett when he was in high school. Pickett ended up going to Pitt when Rule was at Temple. So, again, let's talk quarterbacks. It, it sounds like you don't think a quarterback is going to go in the top 10 because if it's not Carolina, then maybe Atlanta. And after that, shrug, shrug yeah. emoji. It's the perfect emoji for this quarterback, for this draft, for that matter. I mean, uh, you know, people are asking me, you know, what what are you hearing on this and what are you hearing on that? I think I sound like I'm like I haven't made a single call because everything I hear gets undercut an hour later. And it certainly applies to the quarterback. So, yeah, I I would have figured that was probably the starting point for quarterbacks, uh, you know, not too long ago. But. You know, you've heard the kind of the renewed interest in Baker Mayfield or, or, you know, at least public sort of I think this has sort of been strategically leaked and and Jimmy Garoppolo could be the back burner option if they wanted. Um, yeah, I I think without a second and third round pick, the Carolina Panthers are saying, OK, let's say we take Malik Willis here. Matt Rule has to win this year. The owner is getting antsy. Right. And, you know, Scott Fitter is in a situation where he might be able to pick a different guy if he wants. So. You know, there's a little bit of uh, nervousness and, and and feeling that, boy, we got to do something this year. Does Willis step in week one and, and do something? OK, no. Then let's go to Kenny Pickett. Right. Pickett's the guy who with 52 college games and, you know, coming off a, a brilliant season, he would be able to step in. He's got the connection to rule, as you pointed out. But the sense that I've gotten is that they don't love any of the options at six. Maybe if they had not, you know, traded for Sam Darnold, I know you're, you're pleased with that development, but uh, you know, or, or I think it was the CJ Henderson trade, if I'm not mistaken, that lost their third rounder. So, you know, they're, they're dealing from a short deck and they right. don't have, right. a, just, I should point yeah. out, they have a first rounder and nothing until the fourth, right? right. 136th or yeah. something. Right. Yeah. So so in it, a quarterback class where you think, Oh, well, my second rounder might be like a first right. rounder. They don't have that. They don't have that. And that that's going to, I think, you know, come back to, to force them to maybe go the veteran route if I had to guess. So, you know, it's it's probably more about their comfort level of getting a veteran and needing the tackle help than it is like an anti picket or Willis view or whatever. But 
Yeah, the question is, where does it start? Does a team feel the need to trade up? Is you know a team like Minnesota going to be able to slide down to Pittsburgh, let's say, if, if the Steelers want to get uh, Willis or if the Saints want to creep up and, and make sure they get Pickett or whoever? You know, I'm just kind of pairing names up here. Desmond Ritter's gotten a lot of buzz, too. I mean, yeah, he's viewed as maybe the um, Mariota, Alex Smithy kind of guy, you know, high floor, you know what you're getting and he'll compete and, you know, he's got some athleticism. Will he ever be a star? Maybe not. But I think people are almost seeing that as a for if you need one now, that's not a terrible thing to have. So hmm. those are the three that have gotten the most. There are some teams like the Seahawks and others that like Matt Corral or some some Sam Howell love in little pockets here and there. But if I had to you know, pin it down to the three guys who I think have the best chance to go in round one, I would say Willis Pickett and then Ritter somewhere in the back half of round one. So Ritter might be an option at 20 if, if Willis goes before the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, it might be an option at, at, for New Orleans too. So I really don't know. I it, it's hard to forecast this class, and there's some ambivalence. There's no doubt. Is uh, it, uh you you had mentioned Pickett, Willis, Ritter. Is that how you ranked them, or there, was I off there? Was it? Willis- I think I have Willis slightly ahead of Pickett, and then I have Ritter just a little bit behind them. So yeah, close. Yep. And then you're slotting Corral and and Howell as your top five. Yeah, and and it's interesting because I I know of one team that really likes Howell and and one that that I think you know maybe likes them a little bit better than than other teams and some teams look at him and say boy I don't know he's small he's a system guy he's Baker Mayfield with you know without the attitude or whatever you know yeah and there's just it it really does vary club to club voice to voice how much you know, appeal there is on each of these guys. Would you be, um, well, let's put this frame it this way. Would you be more surprised if fewer than three quarterbacks went in the first round mm-hmm. or if like four or more went in the first? In other words, if we get a, would you be more surprised if we got a big rush Two. on quarterbacks yeah. or if everybody pulled back and said, yeah, I'm just going to wait? I think I would be more shocked by the rush, even if it like seems to happen almost every year where, you know, uh, you know, there's obviously exceptions to that, but it almost feels like, ah, we need a quarterback. We got to get one. And and so that panic, I think, does exist, but it might not be quite as widespread this year. There aren't quite as many teams that still feel that burning need to, to satisfy that position this year. So I'd probably be more shocked by four quarterbacks going high or in the first round than I would be two possibly. And then, you know, the second round, third round providing you know, cover for the other guys. Yeah. And you're thinking none in the top 10, uh, the, the runs, the, 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 the pick start in the, in the teens. I think so. I think, yeah, yeah I don't want to, I don't want to limp it. Yeah. That's the way it's going to be. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. Uh, listen, <laughs> we, we're, we're all making stuff up here. As I know. Right. <laughs> none of us can, especially with the draft of all the things that are, that are, that are most impossible to pick. It's the draft or mm-hmm. to predict it's the draft because it only takes one team to make you, uh, to make you all look like fools to mess up right. the whole thing. Right. right. It's one so team, true. Yeah. You know, the giants decide Andrew Thomas is the best of the tackles. And all of a sudden, like your whole draft board goes out the window. I mean, yep. just to take, an example from a couple of years ago it only takes one guy to like a guy one or daniel jones guy. right he was the i had yeah. Yeah, the giants have had... been really good at that lately oh right? they excel <laughs> at it yeah <laughs> maybe that will, will that will stop now that gettleman's off the board and that's right more, and they'll be a little more in line with common thought which isn't always the best thing in the draft True. Some, but often is not the worst way to go a, I, if, if you just lie outside yeah. the box you're probably 
doing something wrong. I think I, I love contrarian thinkers. I really do. Cause they, they force me to read, you know, like people yeah. throw an opinion at me and I go, Oh, that's great. But when you're, I don't know, contrarian for the sake of being stubborn or something like that's, that's when things get a little bit messy and that's the giants draft the last four or five years. What team has done the best of, or, or among what, what team comes to mind? Let's put it that way. When I say like contrarian thinking, but does pretty well with that. Mm, you know, yes. Yeah, 10 years ago, it was Seattle, right? They, yeah, they sort of Seattle had a different way. The one in my mind. Yeah. I, don't know I would if that's really the case anymore. Yeah. Some of the recent picks you can definitely look at and say, a little too outside the box in some of these choices. Right. And I can't wait to see what they do at nine. Cause I have no earthly idea. And, uh, and you know, it's the highest pick they've had in a minute. So say, hasn't it been forever since yes. they've even had a, 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 well, gosh, it seems like they get rid of their first round pick every year. Earl Thomas. I mean, I'm trying to even remember who the last, like, you know, high first they had was there might be one in there somewhere, but yeah, Baltimore is a team that, that has its, its scouting method down pat, even with, you know, Eric DaCosta taking over for Ozzie Newsom a few years ago, it's been a seamless, you know, they value players differently than other teams. Um, but I always feel with Baltimore, like they always are like, at least from again, me not being a, a really up on the NFL, right. You know, I, I'm a casual, a little more than yeah. a casual NFL fan. But I always think of it when I watch Baltimore, if they pick the guy, oh, that's the guy we should have picked, right? Right, you know, right. I know that, yeah. Like, you know, whoever they get, the, 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 the Ravens and the Steelers tend to get the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. If they pick the guy, it's like, oh, that guy's probably going to be good. Damn it. Like, even more than the Patriots. I think as right. great as the Patriots have become and have been, I think in the last few years, they've sort of burned some of that capital as like, oh, we know who to draft. We know we'll get the good guy, mostly because they just can't seem to draft receivers. Right. I know they, they've had a colossal failure at that position last year, earned some credibility, obviously, with Mac and, and, sure. and Christian Barmore. But you're right. I mean, you look at the Patriots drafts the three years before that and you, you don't. You're not, you know, obviously Tom Brady was a big part of there. You know, him leaving was a big part of the seven and nine season. But then you look and the death was terrible. And I would say the Buffalo Bills have really, you know, obviously Joe Shane just left for the Giants, too. But they're another team that, look, every team has misses. You know, I mean, Cody Ford hasn't worked out so far. You know, you know, Terrell Edmonds is is a good player or Tremaine Edmonds, excuse me. Um, But, you know, it's you look kind of how their approach is. They went all in on Josh Allen when nobody was convinced that was the right way to go. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to find that one team that just stands above everybody else, but just in terms of building and, you know, giants fans will have to look at Shane and say, I hope this is the method they use. Yeah. You just put a lot of building blocks in place and then you can kind of narrow your focus after that. Okay, this will be a completely selfish question. Sure. What do you think the Jets should do at their two top 10 picks? They are, th- I know. Three, is it three and 10 or four and 10? Four and 10. Yeah. They're four and 10. Yeah. They, they're certainly a fascinating team. I mean, I think everybody, you know, Houston's really interesting to me as well, too. But the Jets, you know, I would think edge rusher, corner, receiver, offensive line are that's, probably that's the, the thing. Like the, they're, they're in a place where the what they need matches pretty well with what should be available at those two picks which will make it even more amazing when they screw it up (laughs) it will be such a challenge for them but i i'm confident that they will manage to screw this up you have been scarred my friend i i understand completely (laughs) a lot of of, of tread on i know yeah and and like you know makai becton was was celebrated as wow we got him at 11 a couple years ago now there's this question about 
where does he stand in the team's eyes? Does that push offensive line to the forefront? Or do you look at their failed, um, you know, pursuit of Tyreek Hill and say, that was the, that tipped their hand as to what they really want is a receiver either at 10, which I don't think they would take one of four, or there's a trade that they could work out for a Debo or a DK Metcalf or whoever. Right. right. Um, you know, so that those are the two positions that seem to me that maybe the little bit more pressing, but if you have a chance to draft sauce or, or Stingley, it's hard to pass up too. And you know, what if, what if Trayvon Walker somehow slips to four, you know, does that shift your, your thinking completely? The, the giants are picking twice in between your two selections. Don't tell me there's not a, a rivalry and a thinking that obviously, you know, you want to compete against your, your crosstown rivals, I guess. So I, yeah, I would think that if, if the really interesting decision may come down to 10 is, is if they're saying, okay, we want help now Garrett Wilson or, or Lave or somebody like that, or do they look at, at Jamison Williams as the Tyreek Hill understudy? You know what I mean? That would be a, a fascinating possibility knowing he may not, you know, play early in the year. Yeah. Again, I think as a Jets fan, I, I I can't see a situation where I come away from the the draft on Thursday night and think like and thinking, oh man, I, I think they 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 disappointed me here or they screwed this up because the players just fit so well. No matter no matter how things go in front of them, they should have a player fall to them mm-hmm. that fits a need and that is a relatively high caliber player. But as always, we'll see with the Jets. Okay, so here are my last two for you, and they're sort of like a little bit off the board here. Yeah. Um, first of all, give me a player that you think is likely to slip out of the first round that will surprise or disappoint college football fans. A, a player who has had a really good college career, but you think, you know what, eh, maybe more of a day two guy. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like, you know, I put myself more in the college football mindset. Obviously, you know, like you know, I guess there are probably fans of Corral and Howell who will say, come on, I watched that guy, you know, rally us against LSU. And I watched him, you know, add a rushing element to his game this year without all his big weapons. So, I mean, I suppose those guys are, are mm-hmm. theoretical candidates, right? Desmond Ritter, too. Cincinnati fans would be apoplectic if, if you know, sure. the guy who carried their team. But you can make a case for Brees Hall. I think I love the guy. I think he's really good. He's not quite Jonathan Taylor, but I think he's got that same sort of, you know, style, if you will. So he, he definitely is one. Well, what about N'Kobe Dean? You mentioned him earlier. Yeah. I was glad you brought him up because he was the guy who came to mind when I asked you this question. Yeah. And I mean, a five eleven linebacker. Now he was a missile. He He was the guy when you watch Georgia that, that stood out, but. Is 5'11 linebacker just not something that the NFL's dying to take right now? Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll still, you know, like Roquan Smith is like six foot and seven, eight inches, but he can go number six. But we, God forbid we get uh, Nicobe Dean in the top 32. I mean, this is where I sit there and say, I mean, does the height really, 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 really matter? I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm just dumb and I'm just sort of, you know, I'm underthinking it, but I mean, Lord, the guy, like you said, was he lined everybody up. He was a firebrand, fiery leader. You know, he was sort of the heart and soul of that defense, right? You can talk about Jordan Davis all day, Trayvon Walker and all these great guys, you know, obviously uh, Carter next year and Adam Anderson before his suspension, but like 
to me, Nicobe Dean was impossible not to watch and notice on that defense, even with all the talent around him. But there's that idea that does he fit every defense? No, he does not. So it's got to be team specific. It's got to be very, you know, I, I don't think the Cowboys, I think they have different needs that they may not take him in round one. He's a great one. I'm so I'm glad you, you, know, you had him on your list because I think there's a chance he may slip to you know, 33, four, five, somewhere in that range. So this is where my lack of NFL knowledge comes to comes to mind. Would he fit in what the Ravens want to do defensively? Because again, he seems to be what like, right. Oh yeah. The Ravens took him and now he's going to go to 10 pro. Bowl, I know. Right? Yeah. You know? Or, or the Steelers again, another yep. team, but I don't know. I don't know their defense is enough to know if he fits what they like to do. I think the Steelers would be a little too like Devin Bush uh, burned in the sense that they traded up to 10 to get him. And he's, you know, he's, miss some tackles and overrun some plays and okay. you know another shorter guy that again bush was 511 i think right so, so yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting comp yeah absolutely yeah and then you know the ravens they have patrick queen so it's like you know there's maybe a little overlap there in terms of that but but yeah you're right i think i think a, a good football team will draft him because they'll say you know if he gets to the second round like what what are exactly are we gambling on here right yeah Easy, you know i mean at that point you're you're trying to take really good football players who maybe everyone else is nitpicking over to me yeah okay so last one for you is a, a pet prospect i, I yeah. i'm not looking for a first rounder um maybe it's just maybe it's day 2 hell you can even go into day 3 if you really want but just wow. give me a guy or even two, if you like, that you just look at and think, I love the way this guy plays. He's not yeah. going to go in the first round, but I will I will stake, you know, a small sum of money <laughs> that, <laughs> that this guy will have a good NFL career. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a couple. I'm, I guess I'm fascinated by Jelani Woods. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I watch Baylor Baylor D back who blew up the combine with speed. Oh, you know, oh, oh JT no, Woods. Yes. Oh, yeah. Jelani Woods, the Virginia tight end. But yeah, JT yeah. Woods, too, is another good one. Okay, I, so know. I'm sorry. Yeah, Jelani Woods, the Virginia tight end, who was actually played receiver huge, like enormous guy, right? Yeah. High school quarterback, went to Oklahoma State. They said, we're going to make you a tight end, right? And you just, you go out there, 12 personnel and block people. We'll throw you, you know, two touchdowns a year and everything will be great. I, after three years of that, he got a little bored. I think he decided, all right, let's go, let's go play with a lefty quarterback and, you know, receivers who play running back, running backs who play receiver. And it was a fun offense to watch. And they turned this six foot seven, 250, whatever pound guy into a, a weapon and down the seam. And, and it was like, yeah, is there a little suspicion? He's a little bit on the older side. He was a one-year wonder. You know, maybe some of that stuff was was kind of schemed up a little bit. But boy, I mean, the way he ran at the combine, the way he worked out, you said, "Wow, this guy might be Mercedes Lewis-ish." Right now, Lewis is more of a blocker, but in the early in his career, he caught passes too. So he's a horse in the run game, and he catch p- passes. I don't know too many like two-way tight ends in the NFL anymore. So he's one that comes to mind and. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of one other guy that may be like that, that, like you said, that pet project kind of guy. I like Woods because he's also, it's not a great tight end class. Not exactly. There ever is a great tight end, (laughs) but, but at this point, uh, you know, but but that's interesting though, as much as tight end. So I have a a weird theory, Eric, Uh I can't seem to prove. And that is college teams don't know how to most college teams don't know how to max out their tight ends absolutely oh I, you're I feel like the i phrase. feel yeah. like most most college teams just even the teams that are pretty good at it 
just don't really know how to do what the NFL has discovered, which is like, oh, no, this could be the best weapon on the field. And I still feel I don't know if it's because of quarterback development Mm -hmm. or or the type of offenses that they run or maybe the development of the tight end as a player. Yeah, they're they're athletic big body and maybe they just all tend to be late bloomers but for whatever reason i feel like the college teams have not quite totally figured out what to do with these guys i i think you're right and yeah and some of it maybe some of the you know the advent of the spread you don't know exactly you know you maybe end up sort of using them like slot receivers almost and so part of that yeah jeremy ruckert at at uh ohio state right and new york kid and he's uh i mean when you have to throw him or when you, when he got opportunities, like in the playoff game, you know, the, the 2020 season, he was ter- tremendous, right? It he was looks so like weird. It was like all of a sudden Ohio state realized, Oh, we have this guy who's awesome. We should throw him the ball. What a novel idea. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it he's a good example of a guy that boy, when they throw him the ball, he looks really good catching it. And then he, obviously with the receivers they have, it's, it's really yeah, tough, perfect. but, but you're right. I think there is a, a, a little bit of a systemic issue here where, Sometimes these great athletes is almost like, you know, Kellen Winslow in college football catching four passes a game, but he's considered the greatest tight end of that generation. We're almost back to the the Stone Age a little bit on that. So, yeah, it, it bothers me as a guy who played tight end for about eight minutes in high school. So that, that really irks me. Yeah, we've come a long way since Kellen Winslow, but I still don't <laughs> think we're quite up to speed right. as far as that position in the NFL. Hey, man, listen, Eric Edholm is terrific at what he does. You should follow Thank him on you. Twitter and read his stuff on Yahoo. He really knows his draft stuff. There's a lot of draft experts out there. I must admit, I like a lot of you guys. Like, I love <laughs> what Dane Brugler does, and I yeah. love what the uh, what Matt Miller does. Uh, but you are one of my favorites. And I Thank you. And you are a little underrated, frankly. If I'm updating huh. my draft prospects. I, I appreciate that. Maybe a little bit of a sleeper on the draft. <laughs> on <our> draft. <laughs> I'm all right with that. I, I don't mind flying below the radar. You know, expectations are mitigated, right? You always <laughs> sort of seem to go above what they hope for. So that I, I will take that. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Uh, no, no worries. I said follow Eric and read his work. Thank you so much for previewing the NFL draft with me again this year. Let's uh, put it on the calendar again for next year. I'm doing it right now. Yeah, it'll be a fun draft. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say even in a boring draft, quote unquote, I think it's going to be a fun, uh, fun weekend. All right. We're holding you to that, Eric. Thanks, man. <laughs> And now, three and out. First down. Last week, we squeezed in a show while I was on vacation where Andy Staples of The Athletic and I programmed the near future of college football on television. It posted a little later in the week than usual, so if you missed it, I would strongly suggest you go back and listen. Andy is especially good on this topic, and I think we did a pretty solid job on covering the potential options. I wanted to clean up a couple of things I think we missed. Turner Sports appears to be a very real player in trying to obtain college football rights. We didn't touch on the possibility of games on TBS in the near future, which we should have, especially for the Pac-12, which so badly wants to regain control of its start times. It would be a lot easier to do that on a network that only owns rights to one Power Five Conference. Another thing that was pointed out to me, as Matt Sarzniak, who is a good follow for sports media content and scheduling on Twitter, pointed out, Fox has a lot of baseball in prime spots throughout the college football season. 
at least until the World Series is over. Andy and I should have mentioned that in our discussion because it does play a role in how much content Fox actually needs to fill out, especially prime time windows when it has the World Series. Lastly, I wonder if NBC would find the Pac-12 to be a good second option if it misses out on the Big Ten, if for no other reason, then it would add at least one more Notre Dame game against USC or Stanford on the road every year. Second down. Last week, ESPN's FPI, Football Power Index, was released. And much to most everyone's amazement, Texas was the number six team in the country. The Texas ranking was so startling, it almost obscured Auburn at number 10, which seems every bit as odd. So to be clear, I am here for all the metrics, all the computer formulas, and all the power rankings. I like information, even if I don't agree with the rankings or the numbers spit out something that looks screwy. It's interesting to ponder why. What is it seeing that I'm not? I'm partial to ESPN's other advanced metric, SP Plus, from Bill Conley, who's a frequent guest on this show. But I'm here for any attempt to quantify a sport that is really, really hard to measure and project beyond the top two or three elite teams, whether it's crunching numbers or asking for subjective opinions like we do with the AP Top 25. However, I'm now operating on a believe-it-when-I-see-it basis with Texas. This started last year when I cringed at the Longhorns being ranked in the 20s in the preseason AP Top 25. If I had to guess, I'd say the Longhorns are about a 35% chance to squeeze into the preseason Top 25 this year. As for FPI, having them at number 6, I can only imagine being an ESPN employee that is responsible for running the numbers, seeing Texas at number six and thinking, you know, if I move them down 10 spots, nobody would know. Texas hosts Alabama the second week of the season, so FPI has an early chance at redemption, I guess. Third down, let's put a bow on previewing the draft with a few of my personal favorite players. Guys, I bet, will be really good pros but won't get drafted on day one. I was going to have Houston defensive end Logan Hall, who Eric Edholm mentioned, on this list. But at this point, he's got a decent chance of moving into the first round, so we'll leave him off. Here's my fave five. Number five is a tie between two Cincinnati DBs. Yes, I cheated by making that a tie. Two Cincinnati defensive backs, Brian Cook, the safety, and Kobe Bryant, the tough cornerback who played opposite Sauce Gardner. Love them both. Number four, Kyron Williams, the running back from Notre Dame. Now, the running back position tends to produce a lot of value late in drafts. I think Williams has an all-around skill set that will make him a really useful part of a successful running back duo in the NFL. Number three, Baylor linebacker Terrell Bernard will be a 10-year NFL starter. Number two, David Bell from Purdue, not the fastest receiver, but catches everything and can turn into what you might call an elite number two receiver on a team that already has a guy who can stretch the field. Number one, Cam Taylor Britt 
of Nebraska. Taylor Britt is showing up in the second tier of corners in this draft class. A good chance to be a day two pick, but not getting any round one buzz. But it would not surprise me one bit if he turns out to be the best cornerback in this class. Now, that might be a bit of a stretch on his ceiling, but I would take reasonable odds on that bet. At the least, I see a guy who could turn into a borderline Pro Bowl starting cornerback in the NFL for a really long time. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. If you have questions that you'd like me or my guests to answer, email them to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. That's aptop25mailbag, the digits 25 at gmail.com. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.